Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Hey everyone, welcome to A Good Football Show. I am Matt Straup and this is part two of your week 16 fantasy preview show. Part one of the show covered the Thursday night game plus Saturday's doubleheader as well as the Rams, Vikings, Bears, Seahawks, Chargers, Texans, Jags, and Jets. Today we'll be covering the remaining nine games. To do that, I'm joined by John Daigle, Pat Darty, and Denny Carter. Fellas, I figure rather than complaining about all the roster chaos that's happening right now, since we'll get a chance to do plenty of that over the next hour and change, I want to quickly ask you guys off the top if you have any good holiday traditions. I'm picturing maybe the Darties cooking a 350-pound Christmas ham, or maybe Daigle has a, a famous eggnog recipe, or I'm kind of picturing Denny's family decked out in matching sweaters. Does anyone anyone have anything good that's worth sharing here? My family's newest tradition has been opening presents outdoors on December 26th. That's what we did last year. Can't think of any reason. I don't remember the reason why. I don't think it was any like world-altering event. Yeah, it was really warm on the 26th, and we wanted to do presents outside. So uh, we that's how we adapted to the coronavirus last year, and really hoping that is not our new tradition. Yeah, we have a tradition of taking COVID rapid tests before <laughs> getting together with family. That's you know that's something we've we've done for many years now. My favorite tradition is writing recap blurbs on Christmas for Roto World NBC Sports Edge. And guess what's going to be happening again this year? I'll be on the news Christmas afternoon. So okay, nothing has changed. That backfired spectacularly. At least Happy Daigle holiday. didn't take it straight back to COVID. I give Daigle credit. He didn't take it straight back to COVID. So Pat and Daigle. Well, NFL, NFL is COVID, so it's all relatable. If you want to know the real tradition, it's we have both sets of parents come over to our house Christmas Eve, go to my parents Christmas morning, go to my wife's parents Christmas night, and it's a ball. Yeah, it's, we are, we're trying wow. to establish traditions here, Matt. Yeah. No, it actually is. It actually is. We're trying to establish traditions. We did have a, a, a tradition of going to my aunt's house for Christmas Eve, but guess what? It's canceled. So, you know, yeah, what can you do? Canceled. It had nothing to do with COVID. It just had some they, bad tweets. Well, they, yeah, they, they, wait, they saw my Twitter account and they canceled the whole party. Like myself, my dad also worked every Christmas growing up. He's retired now. And so we had a long-standing tradition of not opening gifts until 9 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Really? And for some reason, that torturous timeline decided to carry over to the grandkids. So now they don't get to open <laughs> gifts for whatever reason until 9 p.m. And that rule's not changing. Le legitimately, <laughs> the only holiday tradition I can ever remember that is carry over my family is my parents claiming this is the year they figured out which gift is in which box. They've tried yeah. everything from like legal pads with like diagrams and they have tried every system imaginable and it devolves to complete chaos within two minutes and they have no idea what's in anything. And then we just open it and like, oh, you weren't supposed to open that one yet. <laughs> Are they, they the gift guess or that I thought you were talking about trying to guess. What well, it is guessing. It is basically guessing. Up. They are trying to guess, but so they know yeah. what to give you. 
I got to give a real quick window into like the kid mindset with gifts. It was my daughter the other day told me, she's like, dad, I need to show you something. I was like, wow. All right. This is, she said in your room, like, okay, this is weird. And she brought me in her room and opened the closet. And there were just a bunch of gifts in there that my wife had put there. And like immediately, you know, those are like soiled, you know, cause you can't claim they're from Santa anymore. Oh, they weren't wrapped. No, they were wrapped, either? but now, you know, no. she like kids with presents, you know, they like, they like see it and they immediately map oh, the yeah. whole thing oh, in their brain. And so if we had given it to her and said it was from Santa, she's like, well, I thought I saw that wrapping paper in your closet the other day. Yes. And then just we crumple into a ball and cry. And so, yeah, now we've got to have a, either rewrap the gifts or just say something else is from Santa. Throw them in the trash. Those are useless <laughs> that's, now. that's an option. That's been on the table. It's been on the table. <laughs> All right. Nine games to hit. We're going to start with the Ravens at the Bengals. Points bet has Cincinnati as three-point favorites, a total of 45. We'll get to the Ravens quarterback situation in a minute here. But as for the Bengals, another quiet game for Joe Mixon last week in the box score. Came out of that with an ankle sprain. He's been practicing fully. But Daigle, are you concerned about his outlook in this here matchup? Remember the first time these two teams played, and the Ravens have been very good at stopping the run anyhow, but Mixon limited to 59 yards and a touchdown. My concern, even though you're playing these players in redraft just because of the ceilings they offer and guaranteed to play, we know where the ball is going to go between Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. I am still somewhat worried about this game. I think it's going to catch steam in DFS, for example, and it's a very volatile one that could pop off, but also could just be hammered down underneath its total because we know what the Bengals want to do in their last five games out of the bye, They have the third highest run play rate on first down in that span. And they average three and a half yards per carry, even go back to this past game against the Broncos. They ended up winning, but it's not because they had an efficient offense. It's because the Broncos just couldn't move the ball at all. Bengals actually ran on 17 of 21 first downs in that game. It's just atrocious play calling right now. And if that were to happen, and let's say they also get this extra film now on Tyler Huntley, three full games now, it's I would think it's actually much easier to contain him now that you're seeing more and more of him. Because even though he is good, he's still a backup quarterback in the NFL. We should not expect this game to go nuts like I think some is going to perceive it does. So I am a little worried, but at least we know Mixon will get the 20-plus carries and not the targets like we want him to. Well, Strap, did you say this here game, unironically? I believe I did. Wow. Yeah, it just happened. That was a crazy bit. Deg, I like to hear your positive outlook this on Joe Mixon, game. or <laughs> sort of positive outlook, because really need him. And I redraft this weekend. He's my last player not on the COVID list. The fact he was full on Wednesday, I thought it was shocking, but that's pretty telling that he's going to be good to go. You know, maybe if he was out, then we do get a little more push for Burrow and forced into a passing game script. But I am I am pretty worried. I still think they're just going to unintelligently run directly into the Ravens' front line. You're talking almost like you don't like second and long, Daigle. I don't know, I don't know where that's coming from, but <laughs> I've watched a lot of Falcons football, and that's the way you do it. You run into a brick wall on first down, you figure it out after that's that. Great play. That's how they play. That's very true. <laughs> if you can't convert second and 14, yeah. what, what are you yeah, even deserve doing? to be in the league? Is, that, yeah. is the question. All right. So, so we talked a little bit already about this Bengals passing game and, and obviously T Higgins and Jamar Chase are what we're most concerned about. Those guys did virtually nothing against the Broncos. Danny, what is your outlook on them? Obviously a better matchup against the Ravens, but given the environment that Daigle laid out, where are you with both of these guys? Yeah, you know, uh, Baltimore is the most extreme uh, pass funnel defense, both recently and over the course of the season. The Bengals actually did shift toward the pass in their, I believe, week six or seven matchup back in back in October. 
to their credit, you know, to attack the Ravens defense, you know, where they struggle most, which is through the air. You know, hopefully we get that. You know, this just it kind of reiterates what, what Dago was saying. You know, Jack Taylor wants to establish, obviously, they like they want to be a really conservative run-based team. You know, if they're gonna if they're gonna score some points and win this game, I think it's gonna have to be through the air. And and, and that obviously is great for T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, who have combined to create a very narrow target tree there in Cincinnati. I guess I should also mention CJ Uzama, who I wrote up in this week's oh targets. Come on. He's running good routes. He's done. <laughs> he's running a lot of routes. What do you want? Dear God. So on the Baltimore side of this, as of, I think right now, Thursday afternoon, still unclear if it's going to be Lamar or Tyler Huntley under center. Did we get a Lamar Thursday practice update yet? We are frozen or in fear. I haven't seen a Lamar yet. I've saw day to day and they're not sure if he's going to practice, but the fact that, you know, now it would be right. what, a week and a half since he practiced, even if he does return to limited on Thursday, I am pretty much worried about his availability for this game. And you know where the ball's going to go. Mark Andrews now 27 of 32 targets caught from Tyler Huntley. This past game also, Rashad Bateman did lead the team in routes run 50 on Huntley's 52 dropbacks, but just two targets, one catch for five yards. Marquise Brown also under five yards per target in five games in a row now. So you know where the ball's going to go. You know the, the chances to take and Bateman more than anything. But yeah, it's. I think we get Huntley in this one, who at least offers a rushing upside steal. Yeah, and Matt, as of two minutes ago, Jamison Hensley, ESPN, reliable Ravens beat reporter, tweeted he did not practice. There you go. So Lamar did not practice. And Matt, I believe you were going to ask me then where I would rank uh, Tyler Huntley. And I don't know how you knew that, but I was <laughs> the, going the, to. The answer is I will rank him in the top 12. I have him as the QB 11 right now. And Daigle makes a really interesting point. So Tyler Huntley was literally the QB one overall last mm-hmm. week against the Packers, but Deggle's very correct. The, the more film that goes out on backup quarterbacks, the returns diminish very, very quickly. And it's actually not all that unusual for a backup to come out and have a, a few hot games a la Mike White and then just, like, get sent back into the mantle of the earth, basically. Tyler Huntley seems better than that. He seems like a guy who – I mean, how did this guy not get invited to the combine, by the way, um, two years ago? And he seems like he's got some actual juice. He was very good in college. I think what wasn't the the trivia fact that he was the All Pac-12 QB over Justin Herbert in 2019. So he's he's got a bit of a pedigree. And the thing is, he's he's rushing almost as much as Lamar. Obviously, he's not the level of rusher as Lamar. But with the Ravens kind of in chaos, kind of not knowing what to do in their backfield, he's tucking and running a lot. He's converting more checkdowns than Lamar Jackson. Not at all trying to say. You know, he's like as explosive of a passer or anywhere near the level of quarterback Lamar is, but he's doing a good Lamar rushing impression. And he's he's kind of checking down, at least like building a floor, whereas Lamar's floor has like fallen out continually this year because he's been yeah. struggling in that part of the passing game and has had some weird like rushing touchdown numbers, not nearly as many rushing touchdowns as you would expect based on his usage. So I do think even though the book is now out on Tyler Huntley, that he can definitely be one of those like low-end QB1 dual threats that we, we use as life hacks in fantasy. And, I mean, let's say you're in a bind, like, and, you know, you've lost someone like Taysom Hill or something like that. You're playing Huntley over, like, can you give us a few names, just who he's above in the rankings? I mean, he's above Kirk Cousins, which I – well, Kirk Cousins, man. What are you talking about the most embarrassing performance of the year? 
uh, Kirk Cousins on Monday night. Again, as Nick Menzio put in our headline, uh, Kirk Cousins averages yeah. 3.6 yards per attempt versus practice squad cornerbacks. <laughs> Literally true. I have him one spot of Jimmy Garoppolo. You'll know by the time you hear this podcast if that was a good idea or not, Jimmy Garoppolo playing Thursday night. I have him ahead of Russell Wilson. who I decided to bail on Russell after Tuesday. I don't think he's anywhere near healthy. Like, those were like dead dove deep balls he was throwing. I'm concerned about Russell Wilson. I have him ahead of Justin Fields. I can, I'm assuming more rational coaching from the Ravens. We've just seen mm-hmm. more from Tyler Huntley than Justin Fields. I have him ahead of Tua. I, which you know maybe that one's kind of debatable but yeah i've got him ahead of a lot of those guys who've been kind of like the like the the prime time streamers this year i'm picturing that majestic high arcing throw to dk metcalf on the sideline when you say that Pat. Yeah, I mean, what was going on man it was bad before we move on from this game Dagle already mentioned hollywood brown denny oh. i mean are we kind of stuck in a situation where you can't bench a guy getting this kind of volume 14 targets 10 catches 43 yards but you're just not i mean just no chance of a ceiling at this point I have a lot of notes on Marquise Brown because it turns out his situation is pretty perplexing. So since week 10, Marquise Brown has been targeted on 25% of his routes. That's 1% lower than Mark Andrews, who leads the team. Double-digit targets in five of his past seven, including 10 catches on 14 targets last week against the Packers. So, you know, like you said, Matt, volume is not the issue at all here. Marquise Brown is seeing all the volume fantasy managers could possibly want, and, and actually way more than than you would have thought when you drafted him a long time ago, however many months ago we drafted. Here's the thing, though. His air yards have dried up. He's averaging 7.6 air yards per target over the past five games. That's way down from his seasonal average of 11.8 air yards per target. I'm sorry. It was seven. It's 7.6 air yards per target recently, down from 11.7 overall. Uh, so everything is like near the line of scrimmage, at the line of scrimmage, sometimes behind the line of scrimmage. He's, he's 38 fantasy points under expectation since week seven that's the most among all wide receivers including daigle's guy Cortland sutton so you know it's it's really like a like a vast underperformance from marquise brown you but you're not going to find someone on the waiver wire better than you know who's going to see 10 targets this week like he will okay we moved yeah thank so you good luck. that i feel a lot better now worst situation imaginable basically <laughs> <laughs> the bucks at the Panthers, points bet tells us Tampa Bay is 10-point favorites with a total of 43, obviously just a catastrophic week 15 for the Bucks. Tom Brady shut out for the first time in 15 years. They lose Chris Godwin, Leonard Fournette, and Mike Evans, who sounds like he's not making it back this week. We think they're getting back Antonio Brown here. Pat, overall, what's the outlook for Brady and Brown and this passing game coming off that shutout this week? Yeah, Antonio Brown has not played since week six, and he's still getting unlimited practices, but... My first thought on Antonio Brown is despite the limited practices, you know, he had a, an ankle injury. And we know like NFL teams are just addicted to bringing players back kind of like a little too soon because the season's so short. Every game is so important. It's just the natural tendency to push the envelope. And almost always players get brought, brought back probably a week or two before they should. The only silver lining of Antonio Brown's suspension is that that probably didn't happen in his case with his ankle he got three extra weeks he probably w- wouldn't would not have otherwise received. And we can be reasonably certain that he's 100% healthy now after nine weeks on the shelf. And we know that when he was healthy, even with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans also healthy, he was he was getting to the point we were ranking him as like the top Bucks receiver in fantasy. He cleared 90 yards in three of six games. Clearly has 
a really good rapport with Tom Brady. And this is a tough matchup in a Panthers defense that really that suppresses the pass, has a lot of great individual talent, and it's secondary. But, you know, the Panthers are not going to be able to sustain drives with, like, this Cam Newton, uh, Sam Darnold, Mary Garound. And I, I think – I honestly, I returned Antonio Brown back to the wide receiver one ranks immediately. And I, I think the Bucks passing attack, too – I mean, they have maybe the best second string in the entire NFL, which, you know, isn't really saying a whole lot because they are second stringers. But Tyler Johnson, Scotty Miller, they've all at least had reps with Tom Brady. I mean, Cameron Bray is one of the most experienced backups in the entire league. O.J. Howard can maybe even do a Mike, and Mike Evans impression on the boundary occasionally. So they've got a really, really good second string. It's a tough matchup, but I don't think the Bucks' passing offense is really going to drop off all that much. The timeline, if you recall, for Antonio Brown was four to six weeks. That sixth week was when he was expected to return before the three-game suspension. So the league basically just gave him two to three extra weeks to recover from the ankle injury. I would imagine he drops right back in. And to add to Pat's 90-yard stat, a wide receiver one Antonio Brown was in three or five games this year, and that was with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and all of them. And five of the 13 regular season games, he's played with the Bucks. He is truly a wide receiver one, and I'm going to treat him as such the moment he returns this week, especially without Chris Godwin and what looks like Mike Evans, who has logged back-to-back DNPs. We also know without Chris Godwin, they're just going to plop Tyler Johnson to the slot. Godwin missed four games last year, and that's exactly what they did with Johnson in the two he was available for 53% of his routes from the middle of the field and then Perryman to the boundary. Yes, Perryman was out snapping Tyler Johnson, 55% to 37% and two games prior to Perryman going on the COVID list. But also remember Godwin was available. Like it's hard for Tyler Johnson to get on the field when he's not playing the slot full time. So we just know this is how their three wide set is going to be assuming Perryman is available as well. Yeah, Dago, I forgot to even mention Perriman, who's one of the most experienced role players in the entire league, has already shown he can still hit a deep play in Tampa. So, yeah, it's it's an abnormally good second string. It's still a second string, but it's an abnormally good one. I still – sorry, Denny. Sorry to <laughs> keep cutting you off. I still wonder, though, like you're still missing Mike Evans, Chris Godman. Like what if – what is now the second-highest pass play rate neutral game scripts? What if it's scaled back a little bit, though? Like we go 10th highest. We go league average. Like that actually means Ronald Jones is the better player here, even though you would still play Antonio Brown without question, because he's the one who would hog targets amongst all those guys. It all goes back to Rojo, I think is is the is the key here. But seriously, um, Rojo's in an amazing Rojo. spot. I know you, I, we we get to that in a second. I I've talked to the Zoomers, and Zoomers are telling me that Rob Gronkowski is in a smash spot this week against a, a Panthers defense that has allowed a league high target share to tight ends, you know, no Godwin, no Evans. I, I think, I think Gronk is in for, for a big game here. Gronk, at least eight targets in his last five starts since returning from injury. Also at least 82% of the snaps in four consecutive games, legitimately a full-time player at full health. Now I know he only had two catches, but to see 11 targets his last game, we know he's also in for a bounce back spot. Yeah. So like as much as we love Tyler Johnson, Gronk is truly like the second receiver as long as Evans and Godwin are out. Yeah, by many measures, last week was his worst game as a professional. Yep. So we're, we're, we're... Yeah, two of 11. You just don't with, – with, with this quarterback and that tight end, man, it's just shocking inefficiency. That will not be repeated. Fournette's, Leonard Fournette's workload had become so stable and reliable. I think the way people may be thinking about it is like, so you just plug Ronald Jones into that. But we know that Bruce Arians has had some trust issues with Ronald Jones. Daigle, are you just confidently forecasting Rojo for – 
whatever percentage of Fournette snaps enough to just be plug and play, good to go? I am, and maybe if the Bucks get into negative game script, that's when we start worrying. Keyshawn Vaughn also just this past week before Le'Veon Bell signed out snapped Ronald Jones six to two on conversions downs, third and fourth down. We do remember the one game for that missed last year, and Jones stepped into play. Keyshawn Vaughn was also using the two minute drill to close the halves in that one, but. There is a little coach speak here. Byron Leftwich came out and says he trusts Ronald Jones in all situations, including pass pro. And when you look at the way the Bucs close out the regular season, Panthers, who are allowing 28 running back carries per game to enemy offenses, then the Jets, and then the Panthers again, we actually like don't expect the Bucs to fall behind anyhow. And so I think Ronald Jones is a pretty safe running back to have to close out the regular season. I do too, but that's definitely a lie that they trust him in pass pro. Come on. I agree. Why, why I agree. even bother saying that in public? Like, we know you don't. Don't say that. You know that things are bleak in Carolina in week 16 when we go to to ask a Panthers question, and Robbie Anderson is one of the first names that comes to mind. But after a season-high 84 yards with a score, just three catches for 29 yards for him. He did have a couple carries for 33 yards. He did have eight targets. Meanwhile, we also have DJ Moore missing practice Wednesday and Thursday with a hamstring injury so Denny what's your forecast for the Panthers top two wide receivers I mean I don't even know if are we are we thinking DJ Moore sitting at this point yeah I mean if he doesn't get in some sort of practice on on Friday then he's, he's almost certainly sitting so everybody should watch you know closely for that update you know they're they're not in the worst spot you know only Washington and Tennessee have allowed more wide receiver receptions this season than the Bucks. uh Tampa Bay opponents have the highest pass rate over expectation this season and it's really not close like it's a it's a huge gap between first and second there you know so there there could be volume to be had if you can trust and i'm not sure if i can (laughs) but if you can trust you know cam newton's ability to get them the ball cam's yards per attempt has been under five in two of his past three games i just don't it's hard for me to get super bullish on either of these receivers because of cam's performance that said, Cam is a solid play because of because of the rushing. Also, I think I think the pressure provided by the Bucks or applied by the Bucks could be an issue here. The Bucks pressure the passer at the third highest rate on the season. The Panthers are allowing the eighth most sacks. We saw the Bills just all over Cam Newton last week. The Bills are also a great pass rushing team. Four sacks, many near sacks against Cam Newton. So that that'll be an issue once again. This week, but yeah, I mean, I think I think Robbie Anderson could kind of stumble into eight, ten targets, something like that, in negative game script. The only two concerns for me are one, perhaps those metrics for Robbie Anderson happened because DJ Moore got injured in the game, and so he was the only one to throw to. And then also for Cam Newton, like we got away with one last week and him getting there with a rushing touchdown. Having said that, they've already said they're going to mix in Sam Darnold, who's returning uh, to this game, yeah. to some capacity. I have no idea when and what role, what situation. Pat? The thing is, we know, Dagle, that it won't be the red zone. Because right. why would you ever take Cam? That's the one place where he's still like truly effective. So I do think Cam, as risky as it is, does remain like QB2 super flex live. Also with Robbie Anderson, a lot of those targets were from P.J. Walker that one game, where he targeted him like eight times in five minutes. So kind of weird stuff going on there with Robbie's numbers. But Darnold, I guess, is going to play. But, I mean, Sam Darnold, like the ghost seer or Cam Newton, the Mack truck in the red zone, I do think we at least know what they're going to do inside the 20. We go now to the Bills at the Patriots. 
points bet has New England as two and a half point favorites, a total of 43 and a half here. The last time these two teams met, it was, of course, the infamous Mac Jones goes two for three passing game. Josh Allen was held to 145 yards passing. Just a, a quiet day for the Bills offense overall there. Daigle, what are you expecting from Allen and the Bills in this rematch? Just like Tom Brady historically struggling with the Saints, Bill Belichick has always had Josh Allen's number. 55% completion rate, 6.2 yards per attempt. This is a struggling Bills offense as well that did take it more to the ground, giving Devin Singletary the bulk load, a season high in snaps for him, just in running the ball and trying to get the hell out of that game against the Panthers last week. And so I am somewhat worried here what happens. We know they're going to slap J.C. Jackson in man coverage on Stephon Diggs, and then they have to hope without Cole Beasley for conversion downs that – Isaiah McKenzie and Gabriel Davis and Dawson Knox are enough to get it done in this game. I think it's going to be significantly slower. So yeah, I I am somewhat worried about the Bills offense in this spot. What about the aforementioned Devin Singletary? He did get 22 carries for 86 yards, but that was one week after getting just four carries. Pat, where are we at with the headache that is Devin Singletary? Yeah, he played 93% of the snaps last week, which was one of the highest for any running back in the entire NFL. And I think the Bills... Mm -hmm. Or we're kind of doing that with an eye towards getting ready for this Patriots game because obviously the way they got embarrassed in week 13 where they couldn't run the ball, you know, the Buffalo Bills mm-hmm. in a weather game, not being able to run the ball, their whole fan base was ashamed. I mean, they frankly seemed ashamed. And they know that to beat the Patriots, you actually do have to be able to run the ball. The Patriots stamp out the pass. The teams that have success against the Patriots run like the Colts did last week. Even the Titans you know, had success running the ball against the Patriots you're probably just not going to be able to beat them this year if you can't run the ball. And I think that huge Devin Singletary commitment last week was with one eye on this game, just knowing how things went in week 13 and what they're going to have to do. And so I do think Devin Singletary is actually RB2 viable for fantasy. I do think also Zach Moss will not be healthy scratched this week. And the Bills, they make it so hard and confusing. But they have been trying – it seems like they have actively wanted to whittle down this two- or three-man committee – And it seems like to me, reading the tea leaves, that they have settled on a one-back Devin Singletary approach for this game where they just have to be able to run the ball if they're going to win. The the Patriots are the most extreme run-funnel defense in the whole league. Teams are continually shifting toward the run against them, unless game script just gets wacky in this one, which I guess is a possibility since the Patriots own the Bills. But Singletary is, I think, a really solid volume base play. Well, let's flip it to the other backfield. The last game against the Bills was the one where Damian Harris looked fantastic. 10 for 111 with a touchdown. I think he had a 60-something yard run in that game before leaving with the hamstring injury on what could have been a really big day. Meanwhile, Ramondre Stevenson missed Wednesday and Thursday practices with the now famous non-COVID illness. So in most cases, people have been playing coming off of those. But I mean, Harris coming off the hamstring... Ramondre with the illness. Denny, where are we at with this Patriots backfield? Are we are we all in on Damian Harris if he plays? Are we fading Ramondre after last week's dud? Where are you at? Well, you know, I I think Harris would be would be the superior fantasy option if he plays and is it gets a full complement of snaps. You know, he was limited in practice last week and obviously was inactive against the Colts. So people should get keep a close eye on that, even if he is practicing, which he 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 is so far this week. Matchup wise, it's it's not a good matchup. Like the Bills are actually kind of middle of the road, if not toward the top half of the league and defending against Ryan, which I know sounds weird because they were just humiliated in that snow game. I, I don't 
Well, you know, they've had po- trouble with like teams like the Colts and the Pan- they've had trouble with power rushing attacks. They have generally fair, you know, teams have had to pass a lot against the Bills, especially earlier to keep up with the Bills. They have gotten like really exposed by power rushing teams, basically these past five or six weeks. So I, th- I think maybe that would explain that. To right. Uh, and I know, you know, Stevenson had a disappointing week last week. He was kind of scripted out against the Colts, but he saw 55% of the team's rushes, uh, which came out only 10 carries. Of course, if, if Harris is, is down for this one, I, I, I don't think managers should get too, too down on, on Stevenson after last week's dud. It really just wasn't, it wasn't his issue. You know, that's just it. You would play whomever is available, assuming yeah. one or the other is out. In their last two games prior to Harris's injury, the two split carries literally down the middle, 21 each. So we know they share roles. And then Brandon Bolden also has a third down role with them when they're all healthy. But now, as you mentioned, Stevenson out game scripted out of the this last one, down 20-0 against the Colts. Would not expect that to happen against the Bills. And that's what led Brandon Bolden to run 25 routes to Stevenson's 14, I believe it was, and out-targeted him 4-1. to one. They were in the two-minute drill at that point, so Bolden even stayed in for their lone goal line carry over Stevenson. So, yeah, I would go right back to Stevenson thinking the game script is not going to get that significantly out of hand if Harris is out. I will say, I think if they're both active too, I would still have them ranked as flexes and we can get kind of yes. like this, this two man approach. Cause that's no secret what they're going to do against the bills. Cause that's what they had success doing against the bills. That's been the way to beat the bills. That's what they want to do. And by the way, I just looked up the Boston weather high 41 on Sunday, rainy sustained winds of 14 miles an hour, which you know isn't like ideal, but it was like sustained winds of like 30 miles an hour in Buffalo 14, 20 is kind of like where you start getting into trouble so it's looking like we're going to avoid at least a repeat of the wind. So what you're saying is we don't have to look back in 20 years and tell our children that Bill Belichick threw the ball six times against the 2021 Bills. <laughs> yeah, I, don't yeah, I was going to say eight and a half, yeah. over under eight and a half attempts for Mac Jones, I think. Is we're, also, we're also on the lookout for, let's talk about both of these receiving cores real quick, because for the Bills, we're on the lookout for Emmanuel Sanders, limited on Wednesday and Thursday, which is annoying. Now that Gabriel Davis is coming into his own, even this last game in place of Sanders, 90% snaps, route on 90% of the team's dropbacks, leads the Bills at end zone targets in three consecutive games. And then his last six games, 17 yards per catch. With Sanders in, if that happens, and Beasley out, I would imagine Davis still has a role. If Bees, if Sanders is out, and then we get Diggs, Davis, and Isaiah McKenzie, go back to week 16 last year, McKenzie played a season high 90% of their snaps in place of Cole Beasley from the slot and led the team in targets with two receiving touchdowns. A very sneaky, deeply flex play and DFS play if you want to get there if Sanders and Beasley are out. They do seem like they really like McKenzie and that he would maybe have a bigger role if he were just bigger. And it seems like they try to kind of protect him, but don't mind relying on him when they need to. And then on the other side, Nikhil Harry, we're looking at his injury report since he suffered a head injury. I believe they said he probably will be fine, but we're still going to watch practice reports. Nelson Aguilar also hasn't practiced the concussion and Kendrick Bourne is on the COVID list. So that would leave Jacoby Myers and Gunnar Gunnar Olszewski, special teams ace, as their starting two wide receivers if everyone's injured. So take the under on eight and a half passing attempts is what you're saying. (laughs) I lower, it's gone down. It's seven and a half now. It's gone down. (laughs) You didn't get it in time. You didn't get, yeah. The Lions are at the Falcons. Our friends at Points Bet have America's team favored by five and a half points, a total of 42 and a half. Talking, of course, about the Falcons for 
those who don't see the jerseys behind me. Amon Ross St. Brown has been painting something of a PPR masterpiece for the Lions lately. Last week, eight catches, 90 yards, and a t- touchdown on 11 targets. However, Jared Goff is on the COVID list. So, Pat, is this as simple as we are forced to bench the emerging Amon Ross St. Brown if Goff doesn't play? Or would we dare? Would we dare roll with Amon I think we still keep him in the top out? 36. because it's, it's still Tim Boyle, right? <laughs> is it Tim Boyle I, or David Blau? I, I believe when Tim Boyle think so. was forced to, to come in earlier this year, it was because David Blau was on the COVID list. So I believe David Blau would start, which – Honestly, I mean, it's the same person. But I mean, I, I was to say the point. Either these, no matter which of these clowns it is, I mean, they got to complete passes to somebody. Do they? And it would stand to reason that it's a Monroe Saint Brown. Yeah, He's been averaging seven targets since week four. You know, three straight eight catch performances. I think six or seven straight four catch. The, a variable for him will be if DeAndre Swift comes back and actually starts competing for this work. Because Craig Reynolds caught a few passes. Jamal Williams could catch passes, but. No one is really doing it the way DeAndre was. So DeAndre coming back could be some like short area target competition for Monra St. Brown. But if Jared Goff doesn't get cleared, I'm not going to plunge Monra out of the top 36. Just he's just so important to this offense right now. It's been such a big part of these recent victories, and I think the edict will be, uh, yeah, pass the ball to Monra St. Brown. It sounds like Pat's saying David Blau in a GPP. That's that's what I hear. <laughs> you better believe it. Tim Boyle in a Tim Boyle is the guy who was has like a truly horrific college number. Oh yeah, I think for Rutgers, right? So not Tim Boyle in a GPP, but yeah, David Blau. Yes, he hasn't he hasn't won a game since like the first Obama administration. Yeah, yeah, I say since first grade, which probably was during the first Obama administration. So no politics, guys. No politics. With that thirty three percent target share, the last three games though for Amon Ross A. Brown, like I genuinely was looking forward to playing him this week. Because Jared Goff has been good three weeks in a row now as well. That's the issue, is that the way Jared Goff was playing in soft matchups, as he's shown us throughout his career, actually, bottom on the half of the league, DVOA defenses, like, he's had no issues performing well against. Like, it actually has become a downgrade from Jared Goff early season to David Blau. And now that, in my opinion, I know the targets we think have right. to go somewhere, but maybe they don't. Maybe they don't have to have passing yards. Fair point, actually. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you, Daigle, because if Jared Goff can do anything, it's find find like one of his guys short, yeah. right? So they have this short, short area connection. And I, I'm worried about it, although the thing that balances it out is the Falcons are the softest of soft matchups. That may be the tiebreaker to just keep Amon Ra in your lineup. It is Tim Boyle, by the way. I just looked up. It will be Tim Boyle if Jared Goff does oh, not get no. activated from the COVID. Yeah, I got to go back and look at his preseason numbers, but I believe he was worse than Nick Bolins, and Nick Bolins was the worst quarterback we saw the last like five years in the preseason. Yeah, I mean, Timmy's not even kidding. Tim Boyle has quite literally never been good anytime he's played football. So I'm just really unclear how at 27 years old he remains on the Lions roster, but here we are. It's did we amazing. get a Tim Boyle start this year? Or was that a fever No, we, we did I get had. a start. We... we did get a start. He completed okay. 65% of his throws, had like 100 yards. No, he had 77 yards. Yeah, he was bad. Attempt. Yeah, oh, no. <laughs> he was bad. Pretty bad. Get well. Get well, Jared. It's bleak. <laughs> I know. Whoever knew that Jared Goff would be like, just please, God, Jared, play. So good. Yeah, it's a really good spot if golf can get, you know, get back in time. And the really. one individual that everyone thinks they can start, Craig Reynolds, like we're also watching here because DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams, at least Jamal Williams for sure back. DeAndre Swift may be back. 
but even just with Williams, like I understand Reynolds has handled 37 of Detroit's 52 running back carries the past two weeks. But if Williams comes back, I, I genuinely think they just go back to the veteran as teams have shown they do time and time again. And we just lose the enigma that is Craig Reynolds. Devastating game all around so far. Denny, do you have any more optimism on Reynolds or do you, do you share Daigle's outlook there if one of those two is back? It was fun, you know, but it, yeah. And, and I... I didn't benefit from it, it at good. all in any in the form of fantasy football, but what can you do? Yeah, I mean, if, if Jamal Williams or, or DeAndre Swift comes back, then it, it's it's probably over for Reynolds. I just wanted to mention, Swift averaged seven targets per game before his injury. That's a 20% target share. You're not seeing that very often with, with running backs. And I, I really do think, I just want to emphasize what Pat said about Swift's return impacting St. Brown as far as the the short area vacuum that he has been. I will I will say maybe Diggle's right that any time a team can go back to a veteran, they usually do it. But Jamal Williams had been providing very, very little. I think even testing maybe the Lions patients before he went on the COVID list. And I think it will at least remain a committee, but there's no way that like Craig Reynolds is going to like dispatch Jamal Williams to the bench, that kind of thing. So you're looking at a timeshare, even a best case scenario. In the one game... Williams played without Swift. He did have 17 carries. Remember, he only played 42% of the snaps because he was basically used as an early down grinder until they got in a negative game script, and then it was Godwin Igwebuke. Maybe Reynolds takes Godwin I's position now as the pass catching back if Swift is ruled out. But that's still – and, you know, maybe you're at that point at the season where you have to trust that role, but that's playing with fire. Speaking of early down grinders, Cordero Patterson had just 11 carries for 18 yards against the Niners last week. Daigle, you you mentioned last week they ruined they they took him from us. They they his role has has been turned much more into just a traditional running back than that hybrid role. But I mean, even so, we have to just go right back to him here, don't we, Daigle, in this matchup? Very quickly, our producer is telling us that Tim Boyle averaged 5.8 yards per attempt with two sacks and a fumble lost in the preseason. So that tells you how everything's going to go this week. And then on Patterson, oddly enough, and don't ask me why, oddly enough, they sent him right back to his role beforehand that we weren't worried about. I know the production wasn't there at 18 yards, but he actually did go back to 62% of the snaps, was back to his normal amount of routes run that he showed prior to that fourth quarter disappearance. And so this is a significantly better spot. We play running backs against the Lions, and Cordero Patterson is a running back. So it is like a tremendous bounce back spot, honestly, if you can have any faith in the Falcons offense, for DFS in particular, in this game. I just want to mention a, a quick CPAT quote that I came across the other day just by chance where he said this running back thing is hard. Like I'm, you know, I, like I, I'm, I'm talking to Kadri Allison about, you know, how difficult it is to get hit all the time and, and like by these big guys and it's way different than being a receiver. And that kind of reminded me of what Pat said a couple weeks ago, like maybe, you know, just, just a season full of grinding between the tackles like Patterson has done, which is a weird role for him as is taking his toll and, and is forcing the Falcons to limit him. Before we go to the next game, does anyone have any Russell Gage, Kyle Pitts thoughts that they want to impart here as we look at this Falcons passing attack, if we could call it that? I mean, Gage had a good game. Pitts was productive, but anyone? Pat, you look like you're perking up. I mean, he's the one true Amon Ross St. Brown, Russell Gage. I mean, you're depressed about Amon Ross St. Brown. Just go play the real thing. And Russ Gage, because it never made any sense that he was the PPR Ponzi scheme from the beginning when Calvin Ridley stepped away from the team, like we just knew 
that there was going to be money in the Russell Gage ATM, and it didn't quite pay off at first. He kind of he was injured at first when when Calvin Ridley stepped away, so kind of got off on the wrong foot. But yeah, at least five catches in four of the past five games, twelve targets in two of his past three games. Detroit Detroit Football Lions. Russ Gage, he's 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 flirting with wide receiver two relevance this week, man. This past week, just to summarize, Kyle Pitts, they put him on this in the slot across from another receiver, and then by the time you looked up, um, it was actually not Hayden Hurst, Parker Hesse. Is that their third tight end? It was a third tight end who caught the ball. Sounds like someone who exists because because the route was ran for him. Oh, and, Lee Smith. No, Lee Smith. That's who it was. Lee oh, Smith. My because, Lord. because the route was run for him, not for Kyle Pitts. And it's like this is where we at in twenty twenty one. Like they had they have no was idea. Was that the Lee Smith Kyle Pitts. end zone target? Sorry, sorry, Denny. There was a Lee Smith end zone target yeah. in that game, which was something <laughs> to behold. Yeah, Denny's very familiar with this play, so yes. We have to look into whether Lee Smith is related to Arthur Smith. That's that's all I'm I'm saying because because <laughs> the Falcons want Lee Smith to be a thing. I'm telling you, like they're they like force feed him when he's on the field. It doesn't make sense. He's a Pitt's production, blocker. you know, Matt. Pitt's production last week came on 50-50 balls, and it it wasn't schemed for him. They weren't trying to get him a man coverage on the outside. It was just like, here you go, son. Like, try to come down with this. And because he's Kyle Pitts, he came down with a couple of them. But there is no intelligence in the play calling it's, and getting it, him open. I have a I have Please, a stat because I'm just gonna yell about Matt Ryan throwing contested passes to Russell, Russell Gage, but not Kyle Pitts. So go ahead, Denny. Yes, that is that's <laughs> a fun thing that's happening. Tight ends have seen 44 targets against the Lions over the past four games. So, you know, maybe we can get a few targets for Kyle Pitts. Who knows? But he's not a tight end, so maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Always have to add that caveat when we're talking about Kyle Pitts. The Giants are at the Eagles. Our friends at Points Bet have the Eagles as 10 point favorites. A total of 40 and a half. Running back situation in Philadelphia. The good news is that Miles Sanders, with Jalen Hurts back, got 18 carries for 131 yards, even with Jordan Howard getting 15 carries. But now Miles Sanders has a quad issue, hasn't been practicing. So, Pat, are we officially trending toward Jordan Howard weekend here? I don't know. With Miles Sanders, I'm still just hoping they're managing his reps after playing Tuesday night football. So I wouldn't be shocked if he got in like zero practice reps and still played this week. Uh Quad is kind of like like a toss-up injury. It's not like you see hamstring, you're like, oh, this guy's not playing. You see ankle, you're like, oh, this guy can maybe play. Quad is kind of more like this. You you, you play through quad stuff. So hopefully they're just managing his reps because it was maybe the most important game of Miles Sanders' career on Tuesday because they had a full house in the backfield and they finally featured him. And he finally turned, like it finally paid off for them. He rewarded their trust. He's been, he's been chatter. He's been like a more patient runner since coming back from injured reserve. Like anecdotally, that appears true to me that maybe he's just finally coming into his own. He was the kind of guy who was like infamous for like running into like blockers, his backs and just making like little things, mistakes. So I genuinely didn't know if they would truly commit to him on Tuesday when they had everyone at their disposal and they did. So it was just a huge, huge game for Miles Sanders. So really hoping that he's healthy for this week. Cause you know, the Giants don't have like a – they don't have like an awful run defense, but they allow the sixth most running back fantasy points because their teams are always in positive game script against the Giants. You know, the Giants starting Mike Leonard or Jake Fromm, they're not going to be able to possess the ball. The Eagles are going to have the ball all day. So if Miles Sanders can play, it can be a really, really big day for Miles Sanders. It's also – 
for the Saints or the, for the Eagles now having the second highest run play rate and neutral game script since week six, like we've seen them run into tough matchups like the Saints, the Bucks, and they actually just move defenses. Washington, like it doesn't even matter who they play, honestly, because their offensive line is essentially like the Colts when at full health, they just move bodies around and they'll get it done on the ground. And so it's, it's almost like you don't even worry about the matchup. You worry about who's getting the ball. And so, yes, if Miles Sanders is healthy, and I believe he is, remember, since they played Tuesday, their sessions on Wednesday and Thursday were actually estimated walkthroughs. They haven't actually touched the practice field mm-hmm. yet. And so I believe, hoping, and this could be famous last words by the time you listen to this podcast, but I think when they actually get on the practice field on Friday, you'll see him out there. And if that's the case, it's full speed ahead. And this game that we know they could just cruise like the Cowboys did because Mike Glenn and Jake Fromm can't put up any production against them. I guess Jake and I both have a lot of confidence in the Eagles, but didn't they just lose the Giants like a week ago? <laughs> that was Oh, that many. was that was fluky. Come on. Uh, Jalen Rager dropped four touchdowns in that game. That's right. Yeah, I mean they're gonna kill they're gonna murder them. They really yeah. are. <laughs> not to be dramatic. Yeah, they when while leading this season, the Eagles have a 38% pass rate. So they will establish like none other this week, I believe. We don't need to spend long on the Eagles pass catchers, I don't think. I mean, it's, it's Dallas Goddard, and then we're, we're kind of staying away from everyone else with this, what we think this game script is going to be, Dago? Correct. And I had some people ask me beforehand, uh, you know, do I play Dallas Goddard or David Njoku? Do I play Dallas Goddard or like Gerald Everett? And I was like, why is Dallas Goddard being grouped in with these players considering he has a 26% target share without Zach, Zach Ertz. He's still running around on 88% of their dropbacks without Zach Ertz. Like he has elite wide receiver usage. He should be treated as such. I understand the accuracy sometimes can't be there, but all we want for these tight ends are just getting that kind of usage. And here he is now with back-to-back career highs and receiving yards in these games. So yes, you go right back to him as the significantly more trustworthy option over Devontae Smith. And that's it. We're contractually obligated to talk about the Giants' offense, so uh, we we pointed towards Saquon Barkley for a minute here. 19 touches for 74 sco- scoreless yards last week against the Cowboys, which seems like the quintessential 2021 Saquon Barkley game in a lot of ways. Denny, we've already talked about the Eagles basically likely crushing the Giants here. I mean, is there any prayer for Is this touchdown or bust basically for Saquon? I mean, what's, what's the outlook for him here? Real quick, Matt, by the way, I personally negotiated with Comcast CEO Brian Roberts to have it put into our employment agreements that we don't have to talk about the Giants. Oh. So we actually are not contractually obligated to do this. <laughs> All right. Well, we can skip it if you guys want now. Denny, up to you. No, we're not skipping it because I, I put, a, put a lot of work into this one for some reason. <laughs> Saquon Barkley uh, has the worst possible matchup. Uh, Eagles are allowing the fifth lowest success rate against the rush and the lowest expected points added per rush by a wide margin. So, you know, it's it's a disaster. They Here's the thing, okay, and, and, I, and I'll, I'll, as cruel as that may be, I will offer some hope to Saquon drafters like Pat. It, the Eagles have allowed the third most run. It was one league for the record. It was one league for the record. <laughs> I'll never, never forget, never forgive. They have allowed the third most running back receptions this season and running backs see a 19% target share against them. Barkley has at least five targets in four of his past five games and actually leads the team with a target per route run rate of 34%. If he's going to get it done, it's going to have to be through the air. It's going to have to be a bunch of targets, a bunch of receptions. I still think though the ceiling is just 
so severely limited. Just the fact that even in this game, I don't know who covered it for us. You know, when you go back and watch it, even the announcers in that one were confused sometimes when they saw a Giants running back carry the ball. They couldn't tell the difference between Devontae Booker and Saquon Barkley because right now both of them have the same talent. It's just very clear Barkley is still limited with the ankle injury and in one of the worst offenses in the league, which just hinders them all around. And Pat, I'm understanding we don't have to cover the Giants moving forward just in any capacity, right? Is that is that the part of the agreement? No, yeah, it's this part of it's been you know, a tough year or two. Just I want everyone they want everyone to stay refreshed. And you know, this mental health initiative, we did not have to talk about the New York Giants. All right, we have five games down, four to go. First, we're gonna take a very quick break. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25. Give the gift of NBC Sports Edge Plus this holiday season. I know how to say that. Get 15% off annual subscriptions when you use the code HOLIDAY15 at checkout. This offer will turn to Cole on December 31st. So visit nbcsportsedge.com slash edge plus today. And remember, all our premium tools for fantasy, DFS, and betting are included in one low edge plus subscription. We go now to the Steelers at the Chiefs, according to points bet. Kansas City, as I checked just before we went on the air here, eight and a half point favorites, a total of 45. We have complete chaos in Kansas City with Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, both on the COVID list. Daigle, I mean, let's say both those guys don't get cleared. This Are we forced to consider benching Mahomes if we have better options, even after that huge game he just had against the Chargers? It's not pretty. I was worried beforehand, but now even more so because remember in that game, it was a very limited set of plays, but they still weren't moving the ball. Like Travis Kelsey in the first quarter had one catch Mm -hmm. until Derwin James exited the field. And then the Chargers couldn't do their too high safety scheme. And then all hell broke loose with the Chiefs offense. So I'm still just significantly worried. I think everyone's going to try to piece together who could replace Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill between Noah Gray, Byron Pringle, and Michael Hardman? And the answer is really none of them. The fallback would be CEH and to a lesser extent, Darrell Williams as their leading receivers. But then really, what does that get us? Like even against the Steelers front seven, who's been 
brutalized by opposing running backs for six weeks in a row now. It's not just most recently. It's been six full games. What does that really get us for Mahomes? And so I am genuinely worried about the total, about the Chiefs' offense in this game. It just seems like, one, they sit back and cruise to a win with their defense. Yeah, I mean, you're, the, the pivot is going to be to the running game, Diggle, said, especially against this collapse Steelers' run defense. And it's all the more concerning. We know that because like the root of the Chiefs' passing game success in Week 15 – was like the back-to-basics approach of let's throw to Travis Kelsey 20 times and Tyreek Hill 15 times. Like That was the root of that eruption. There still was not a third option last week, even as Patrick Mahomes passed for 410 yards. So there's basically no way to spin it if Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill are out. Patrick Mahomes is going to be barely a QB1. So we talked about the run game, the Chiefs, the Chiefs potentially going run-heavy here. Would we dare? I don't want to just throw this term around, Pat, but would we dare call this a smash spot for CEH? We would, just because, I mean, the Steelers have just been one of the worst run defense stretches like of any team like the past four or five years. And Daigle didn't – did we debate last week if they were getting back like this important defensive tackle or something? But then he actually didn't come back. and He did not come back, and then also it was Isaiah Bugs also – this morning, no, was it yesterday? Maybe last night he got added to the COVID list. So he, again, he's having a hard time coming back. Oh he can't really get back on the field. And then also Bugs' backup, their interior defensive tackle, also ruled out for this game with an injury. So uh, these these highways that are being opened right now are just going to continue being wide open. Yeah, and the, and the Steelers, it's borne out in the stats. Too. Like They're allowing by far the most running back fantasy points over the past month, and they are down very bad Denny as a run defense I mentioned yeah so I, I mentioned on Sunday I started talking about the nose tackle for the Steelers and everyone was kind of thrown off but I, I remember you. I, I remember reading a, a beat writer for the Steelers who said uh, and this is this is back before the Steelers run defense completely collapsed on itself right this is this was Isaiah Bugs's first missed game he said without Bugs they will not be able to stop the run I thought okay well let's see and it was true. It was true. They could not stop it. And now they don't even have their backup. So, you know, it, it's a, it's an issue. And it's, can CEH really smash? I don't I don't know. But, you know, he, it's it's as it's as smashy as it gets for CEH. Maybe not smash, but we did get a slight little increase in workload. His highest snap share and backfield touch rate since week one in this past game. And I know he didn't perform well, you know, 38 yards on the ground. But overall, just to have his usage increased in what this should be a smash spot, like, yeah, it could be a ceiling game for CEH. I like him a lot. The Derek Gore smash spot. <laughs> That's not out of the realm of possibilities. Now we're talking. On the other side of things, just a, just a brutal day for Najee Harris in Week 15. 12 carries, 18 yards. Denny, can you offer some optimism uh, looking at this matchup with the Chiefs, a defense that has actually been playing mostly better lately? Yeah, so Najee has been you know really unimpressive of late, throughout the season really, but definitely of late. He hasn't cracked four yards per carry in four of his past five games. Last week he had a a fantastic 1.5 yards per carry against the Titans. He's 54th in breakaway rate this season. It's not it's not the best. It's not the best peripheral stats for Najee Harris. So but the ground game is the way to attack this, you know, kind of rejuvenated Kansas City defense. They're allowing the sixth highest rushing success rate since week 10 and you know if if all else fails and and the steel and the Steelers get behind here against the Chiefs, Najee's seeing a 17% target share. So he, you know, he could provide some sort of floor via via the pass game. 
but as far as rushing goes, it it's not it's not a particularly you know good spot for him. I I will say that if the Chiefs are really without Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, the spot probably gets better for Najee Harris as far as game script goes. It's just tough as well to get on board anyone else on that offense outside of Deontay Johnson. We keep going back to Claypool, and it just doesn't matter. They did the same coach speak spiel OC Matt Canada did since Claypool ran five fewer routes than Ray Mary McLeod this past week and only five more than James Washington in a timeshare for the third receiver role and Canada came out and said yeah we just like to use all our guys the same thing every coach says so just not a trustworthy player in a position with that offense they're clearly unhappy with them for whatever reason the drops the celebration whatever it could be so Deontay Johnson honestly the only one you can trust the Broncos are at the Raiders, according to points bet. I believe was Vegas a half point favorite when I checked. Do I have that right? Total of 41 and a half. Teddy Bridgewater out for week 16. He has a concussion. That means Drew Locke under center. Daigle, not that we think Locke is a better real life quarterback, but could this maybe lead to like a Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy revival? Or are we still just completely looking away from this Broncos passing game? Oh, we're looking away. We're staying as far away yeah. as we can. I know Denny yeah. gets big-eyed, so maybe he's going to sell me on something. I'll just keep going back to the evidence we have since we've never seen Drew Locke improve at any point in his career and say Cortland Sutton in six full games with Drew Locke has never finished as a top 38 receiver because Drew Locke is bad. Jerry Judy, the 110 targets he earned, he earned them as a rookie last year, also came without Cortland Sutton because Drew Locke likes to throw downfield and miss Cortland Sutton historically. So... I don't trust any of them. Denny, sell me on something. I, I'm not selling you on any of the receivers. I can't help you there. Okay. I can sell you on one Albert O. Well, you know you know who's seen every Drew Locke, okay. Albert O rep is this Mizzou alum, which, by the way, shouts the Mizzou football program who lost to the Army on Wednesday night. <laughs> so just a real good performance from Mizzou. I had, I had to bet Army. I'm sorry, Pat. Yeah, I, Pat, I saw that tweet, and I was like, I have no idea what that means, and I will not understand. I we, refuse uh, to understand. We lost a football game to the Army. Well, there you go. So real quick, so Alberto, is, it's written up in the Target Dakota column. I got you know more insanely bullish on him as I, as I kept researching and writing. The uh, Raiders are allowing the six most tight end receptions on the season, along with the league's fourth highest tight end target share. Alberto is leading the team in targets per route run this season you know that's that's a skill like albert o is elite you know and and if if he gets oh, if he gets some, <laughs> if he gets some opportunity here i think he can make the most of it of course this this is good also for noah fan i suppose well yeah Dangle, do you know off the top of your head you had the the lock sutton numbers i think he had a little bit of chemistry with noah fan i feel like so it's not surprising how drew locks the kind of quarterback who can only complete passes to tight ends basically I don't have the – he has been a more accurate passer in the flats. The only issue is he also had the, what, second, third highest deep ball rate last year, even being inaccurate because he loves throwing downfield. I do know, though, that in games that Alberto has played, Fant has run around on just 70% of dropbacks, averaging four targets per game in those outings, whereas without Alberto, Fant was running around on 82% of dropbacks, seven targets per game, a big increase. And so they've basically been used, even though Fant is still playing more snaps, they've basically been used the same, seeing the same exact opportunity when they're on the field together for whatever reason. I think both are talented, but Noah Fant's in a whole nother pool. Having said that, Denny's correct. Just the fact that you can sneak in Alberto into your lineup if you're completely desperate, yes, it's a very good spot for him. 
Do we have anything, anyone, I mean, it feels like we're cutting and pasting with Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon at this point. I mean, they split carries right down the middle last week. Pat, feels like both guys are going to be ranked, at, you know, as what, RB2s? Like, where are we with these two guys? I actually snuck Javante into the top 10. He's the RB3 by average half PPR points over the past three weeks. You know, Melvin Gordon missed the game in that time span, but he's the RB5 over the past five weeks. And as we just discussed, I mean, they're not going to rely on the passing game against the Raiders. And, you know, that's not even what you want to do if you have a good passing game. The Raiders are a team to run on. The Broncos are built to run. We have months and months now of demonstration that they're going to get both Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon their touches. So I think they're both easy top 24. And I honestly felt comfortable ranking big play threat Javante Williams in the top 10 against the Raiders, a team that just hemorrhages fantasy points to running backs. Expecting both to get 15-plus touches, but yes, this is the first time I'll have Javante over Melvin Gordon significantly as well. Justin, there was a little bit of changing of the guard. Javante with 19 routes to Melvin Gordon's 11 and outsnapped him 44 to 30. Or I'm sorry, yeah, outsnapped him 44 to 31. So actually like a little bit of usage change for Javante for the first time all year. I just picture Melvin Gordon consuming fantasy content every week and becoming the Jordan meme of an and I found, what is it? What, what does he say? Shoot, I forgot. I took that personally. And I took that personally because we do this every, all the time where uh, Javante is Javante. And then Melvin comes out. And, uh, I mean, Melvin also does literally take it personally. He's kind of spoken openly about yeah, taking he, it personally. He actually, it's clear to me that he searches his name on Twitter, which, woof, that is rough. That's, and by the way, that's every player. Very obvious that every player goes to the locker room after games. They immediately search their own name on Twitter. I just don't do that. Oh, yeah. Please don't do that. Uh, Who is someone I just really ripped on recently? The school of Missouri. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I hope, yeah. I hope those kids aren't reading my Twitter. Uh, I was a little (laughs) unhappy that they lost to the Army. We saw Hunter Renfro, his spectacular string of three straight 100 plus yard games got snapped. Pat, I mean, was that whole thing just a beautiful hallucination? Like, are we going to get back to Hunter Renfro's ceiling territory? Or are we more back to like what happened and what's your outlook for him, I guess, right now? I think Monday was just the hallucination. This kind of a game where neither team seemed like they really wanted to be there. And just such tough circumstances, just not an ideal setup for anybody. And, you know, of course they actually did want to be this. It was just a depressing football environment. You could sense it from both teams and, I don't see why he wouldn't immediately go back to he's had at least eight catches, at least 10 targets and at least a hundred yards in every game since Darren Waller had been injured until last Monday. There's no one like, there's no like Hunter Renfro stopper on the Brown. Hunter Renfro's the kind of guy too. The defenses don't even necessarily mind. They kind of, they don't even like necessarily scheme to take that kind of production away. If you're just throwing a Hunter Renfro underneath over and over again, like that's just like fine for them a lot. So I, I do think Hunter Renfro is going to bounce back. And I'm safely ranked in the top 18. And you can maybe even make a wide receiver one argument still for Hunter Renfro. Darren Waller does not appear close to returning. Yeah, I was about to say, it seems like it's becoming team mistake to not put him on IR already. It looks like he's going to miss the rest of the year, considering he hasn't shown up to any practice since he initially got injured. And there is no, like you said, Hunter Renfro stopper. This offense has also just been absolutely abysmal. They have no explosiveness whatsoever. Derek Carr, 7 of 28 on passes, 20-plus yards downfield since their bye without Henry Ruggs and Darren Waller. Also, the Raiders scored 16 points or fewer in six of their last seven games. So just nothing to get excited about, honestly. 
We are headed down the backstretch of the NFL season and the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet has you covered with Sunday Night 7. We are giving you a shot to win $1 million every Sunday night throughout the rest of the regular season. It is free and easy to play, so predict what will happen between the Washington football team and the Cowboys for a chance to win. Download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. And we will answer one of the questions from the Sunday Night 7 coming up, but first let us preview that game points bet has Dallas as 10 and a half point favorites, a total of 46 and a half here. We have now seen Dak Prescott throw exactly one touchdown the last three games. He's the QB 27 in fantasy points per game the last five weeks. I saw on NBC Sports Edge slash Roto World. Dallas didn't really have to do a lot of lifting, obviously, in the win over the Giants. But Denny, as the resident Washington expert, could this defense be the cure for what ails the Cowboys passing game? I would love to say yes, and and really like in every way but one, it 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 could be and it should be the cure for this just really some would say down bad Dallas passing attack. Uh, you know, Washington. No, I mean it is. There's nothing else to it call is. it. It's down bad. Pat nodded. Pat nodded very clearly there. there. Yeah, Washington opponents have the second highest pass rate over expectation this season. Washington is the fifth most extreme pass funnel defense. And, and that showed last time these teams played two weeks ago. Dak threw 39 times and had 211 yards on 39 attempts. So, you know, the volume, I believe, will be there again for both Prescott and, and his pass catchers. I guess it's just a matter of, of you know, Dak and, and those guys converting. It's, a, it's maddening because everything says that it should have happened last time these teams played. Uh, you know, I, I guess you still have to rank. I mean, Pat, ch- check me if I'm wrong, but you still have to rank Dak as a QB one, right? Yeah, you do. It is like one of those like honor bound, like duty rankings, like serving your country type of rankings. Cause it just doesn't make any sense unless he's not physically right, which he might not be physically right. He's been playing through a lot of different things this year, but are you really going to trust Joe Burrow over Dak? Are we truly trusting Jimmy Garoppolo over Dak? You know, Kurt Cousins, who's been struggling Russell Wilson is having some of the same problems that Dak's been having, Tua, so on and so forth. So it's like kind of one of those situations where you're just stuck making the upside bet over and over and over again because he's the great a great quarterback of an elite offense with elite weapons. And you just have to like basically yeah, keep making that redraft bet because you just don't have compelling alternatives to get in there over Dak. It's miserable right now. You're literally just banking on the historic performance of a player and not trying to be recency biased, but just the fact that 200 he's averaged 255 yards per game with one touchdown and one pick since returning from that cap injury in week nine. This team has also historically fallen apart and been less efficient whenever Tyrone Smith has not been in the game. That was the case against the Giants when what seemed like a good spot. That could be the case again this week against Washington, what seems like a good spot since Tyrone Smith on Thursday, at least, has yet to practice. And so, yeah, even in if you look at C.D. Lamb's performance since he returned from a concussion against the Chiefs. Uh, it's been three games now. He had, he's had four drops and two picks thrown his way. Also missed a couple blocks when you're watching tape. So it's just, I don't know what's going on, but clearly nothing is clicking. Nothing is right for this offense. So it's not one I'm getting excited about. And DFS, I'm sitting out. Anytime someone tells me they're good play, I just say, yeah, but actually they're not. And I just move on. Just prove me wrong. Like, just do something finally. Because right now, they're just a, they're literally just a defensive team. Like the Chiefs, they're just riding on defense right now. And that's yeah. it. That's what happens when you have Lawrence Taylor 2.0 and Micah Parsons. Very true. 
So I want to say on CD Lamb, since he came back from that concussion, he's averaged 6.2 yards per target. That's down from his season-long rate of 8.7 yards per target. So he's he's definitely being used differently. Also, he's coming off the field on two wide receiver sets. Is that what I'm to understand? What what's happening? Oh man, it's 2021. Well, as for the Dallas backfield, Washington gave up 238 rushing yards in week 15. So, Daigle, can we at least get excited there? Or, I mean, is it just because now it's a split with Zeke and Pollard? I mean, both are playable, I guess, but neither one really has a ceiling. Is that how you look at it? I I think that was genuinely because we talked about earlier, the Eagles move bodies. Like, the Eagles running attack is not one I fear in any matchup, whereas the Cowboys right now, although Zeke did look better and Michael Gelkin reported before that game that this is the first week even in practice with his knee brace he'll now be wearing it for the third week in a row that he's looked a lot more comfortable and looks like he's getting healthier you know what you need you need a touchdown or two from Zeke since the ceiling is still capped until he's 100% healthy Tony Pollard as well you know he's going to handle 8 to 12 touches you have to have a touchdown otherwise he's useless in fantasy it's been the case all year like that so you, you know the outcome for the Cowboys running backs Taylor Heineke has been activated from the COVID list Antonio Gibson, though, was a DNP Wednesday and Thursday with his toe injury. Pat, we think Jarrett Patterson would be next man up if Antonio Gibson sits. I mean, and I guess if Gibson is out, Patterson is RB what? Ballpark. He's RB top 30. Maybe you get him RB top 24. It's because Taylor Heineke. So the Washington had been making that transition to run heavy you know, for weeks now. Their whole passing games is kind of in chaos. Taylor Heineke didn't play last week. Curtis Samuel is never healthy. Terry McLaurin, I guess, is healthy right now, but hasn't really been producing during this transition of their offense. And so it's they can't really rely on their passing. Gibson, I will say it would have been better almost if it had been the shin than the toe. Like the toe was his original lingering injury, one that bothered him the entire offseason. It's very concerning to me that the toe has popped back up. And this hasn't been like management for his shin and feeling not great about his availability this week, but you know, there's so he, it's the kind of thing he'd get in one limited practice or he can get in zero practices and they could throw Cause you know, they played on Tuesday. It could be a week where they just don't let him practice. And then he plays. Yeah, if he's out JD McKissick's on injured reserve. So it's Jared Patterson, a guy we all liked in the preseason, a guy who's a very interesting pre-draft profile and, even though they're 10 and a half point dogs, they just, the football team has to run. They're going to run. They have to run. They want to run. And Jared Patterson, I haven't, I've been trying to like block out thinking about it, but he'd be, he'd be close to the top 24. That's what I'll say. And for the passing game, it's only Terry McLaurin. And it's a question I can't even answer because the question is, does he score a touchdown? Because if so, those are the four games this year. He's been a wide receiver one. And his other performances, he hasn't even been in the top 24. So if he scores a touchdown, good job. If he doesn't, no point in starting him. And we can't answer before the game. But if so, tough. I mean, if you you can start him in, in points per air yard. This is true. Those air yards are stacking up. He gobbles those up. I mentioned the Sunday Night 7 question quickly around the room here. Who wins this game and by how much? The Cowboys will cover. It's 10 and a half points. The, the football team, they're just down too bad. Cowboys are going to win and cover. The Cowboys front seven is what gets everyone by here. They win by double-digit points. Cowboys don't cover. They win by one. I mean, Micah Parsons, unfortunately, he's just going to break Taylor Heineke in half at some point is the real problem, Denny. 
So you're wrong. We we don't accept your Sunday at seven answer. For some for some reason, I want the Cowboys to lose this game so badly. <laughs> I can't because <even laughs> you're a Washington homer. I always have been. Monday night, it's the Dolphins at the Saints. As of right now, points bet has Miami as two point favorites, a total of thirty seven and a half, and everything changed here on Thursday with Taysom Hill headed to the COVID list. One of a whole slew of Saints hitting the list. Uh, so. We can talk about the impact of that in a second, but first things first, enter fourth rounder Ian Book, who is now in line to start at quarterback. Uh, what does all this madness mean for one Alvin Kamara Daigle? Well, what does Mark Ingram more than anything mean for Alvin Kamara? Because we have now seen in three full games with Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara's average 17 touches and just 60% of the team's backfield touches, as opposed to without Mark Ingram this year, 24 touches and 82% of the team's backfield touches. Markingham was averaged 11 touches per game in the three starts he's had with Kamara. So that's why Kamara's ceiling is actually limited in these performances that Markingham has also been available. And so Ian Book, we know what he's going to offer. Very worrisome through the air against a Dolphins defense that leaves the league in picks and sacks since week eight. But Ian Book still can <laughs> scramble around a bit, a career 34 rushing yards per game at Notre Dame only what is it 15 touchdown passes in 12 games in his last year with the fighting irish also he's working on 33 years old right now as a rookie mm. you know what you're gonna get you're gonna get some high rushing floor you ideally don't want to play him but if you're desperate <laughs> and need to take someone down to the wire or you have to play him because your waivers are thin you just hope that rushing floor gets you by yeah not really the ideal spot to be making his nfl debut against the team that plays lockdown coverage and blitzes a lot and you know, just shut down Lamar Jackson a few weeks ago. So, and having no receivers, so kind of a hopeless situation for Mr. Book. Other than that, though, pretty good times, you would say. Other than that, good start. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm jamming him in every lineup. So turning this over to Miami, we saw Duke Johnson emerge to have a big game against the Jets last week. So. Pat, what do we do now with this Miami backfield? I mean, is this just going to be too risky and messy to choose anyone to start anyone? I think it got easier to chase these Duke Johnson points on Thursday when Tatesum Hill was ruled out for the Saints because the Saints were already going to have trouble sustaining drives and having possession. They have essentially no shot at that now with Ian Book. And I, I think it's pretty sta- it's stabilized Duke Johnson's flex value and like made him like a viable point chase, so to speak, after he had the game of his life. Because like, the Saints, you know, while they've been taking on water like pretty badly with their pass defense, have remained an elite run defense, but there's just no way they're not going to be on the field the entire game. And it's bleeding run game volume and letting the Dolphins dominate the clock. And it was the best game by far by any Dolphins running back last week. And Duke, Miles Gaskin still mixed in for 10 carries, but neither one of them like really uh, contributed as a pass catcher. And we know Miles Gaskin's a good pass catcher, but we know that's what Duke Johnson has been typecast as literally his entire career. So there might actually be room to grow on the usage front. There's not room to grow on like the fantasy points front. He's not going to do better than 100 yards, two touchdowns. But I, I felt a lot better about touting Duke Johnson as a flex when I saw the news that Taysom Hill is on the COVID list. God, I, I'm still a little bit hesitant just because I think they're going to have all five players back here. Malcolm Brown off injured reserve, Philip Lindsay off the COVID list. And if that's the case, like if they activate four running backs for this game, we all, then we don't know how it's really going to shake out. 
We've seen time and time again this year that just because one player does well in their backfield doesn't mean they'll just go to the next one. Also, mid-CBS broadcast mentioned that Miles Gaskin, since he only had 24 hours off the COVID list, the whole plan the mm-hmm. entire time was to limit him in that game. 22 touches, of course, to Gaskin's 10 Johnson had. So I'm actually more skeptical than a lot of other people. Well, yeah, Dago, my argument, quote-unquote, is definitely aspirational. I just feel like it was the... They, the way they've cycled through these guys, they've clearly been like looking for this from someone and had not gotten it all year. And they at least like got this kind of performance finally. So my gut, you know, we all love the gut, don't we folks? It's just that they had wanted this all year from running back and they're, they're going to give it a second chance, but like that's totally aspirational. And your point is completely right. That I, mean, I, I can't wait till someone's writing the blurb Monday that Duke Johnson's been healthy scratch. And, you know, I just go home and uh, cry on command. So yeah, that Gaskin intel, by the way, I think I was listening to our Sunday Night Recap podcast, and as someone pointed out, information that would have been useful before kickoff. That was me, because, yeah, that was my game, and they were, like, talking about it. Yeah, they said he's not going to really play today. But, yeah, that would have been nice. We can't, you know, Jay Glazer can't talk about every game. We, we get Glazer once every three weeks, and, when boy, when he drops one, he's just always right. Yep. So yeah. the Dolphins pass catchers, they're expected to get Jalen Waddle back from the COVID list. With Waddle out, we, we actually saw Devontae Parker – ultimately put together a pretty good game it was tense there for a moment but he found the end zone ended up with four catches 68 yards and a score on eight targets Danny what what are you looking for from Waddle and from Parker and do we feel like one of these guys is going to get you know there's a lot of more treatment where where are we these guys right it, it would seem like Parker would get the would get that treatment and Waddle would run the you know underneath and, and short area stuff which obviously to a missed big time last week it took him a long time to adjust i was listening to pat's recap of the game and to, uh, he seemed at he said he seemed out of sorts without waddle there so you know it, and i was going to say that we, we might be a little bit worried here about you know volume for for the dolphins pass catchers since you know they they, they should have a pretty easy time against a, an ian book led uh saints offense is is Taysom vaccinated is anyone no I don't know, but they've already said he's out, so it doesn't matter. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. He's out. Yeah, so so you, you would think, but the Dolphins have the sixth highest pass rate while leading this season. They're one of the few teams that, you know, continues to throw even when, when they have a lead. We saw that kind of last week as well against the Jets. Uh, so I think I think Waddle is is really safe here. I'm not, not so sure about Parker. Waddle, in my opinion, also a knock against Duke Johnson. I put that in the column as well, in the waiver yeah. wire column as well. All right, that's the end of our nine games. This is the part where you guys mention what is uh, happening here on the website and on the podcast. It is hell on earth on NFL fields right now. And <laughs> I, we will be live right after the show if you're watching live for the DFS building block show on a Thursday because no one's going to watch on Christmas Eve. So we're going to get it out early. Fortunately, I think we have a lot of situations solved since everyone knows what the chalk is. It's just a matter of how are we going to handle the chalk of Ronald Jones, Antonio Brown mispriced on DraftKings, James Robinson mispriced on DraftKings, expensive on FanDuel. We'll get to this right after this. Yeah, and I can't wait to tell my kids Christmas morning, sorry, we can't open Santa's presents because I have to go remove five wide receiver ones from my rankings because they all have the coronavirus. So I will try to stay on top of the rankings as best as I can this holiday weekend. John, is Antonio Brown going to be the chalkiest player in the history of DFS? I don't think so, honestly, because I think people are worried about the ankle injury. Yeah, and I think we have a choice, Ronald Jones or Antonio Brown. But again, that's going to be available if you can't watch it live. 
audio form by the time you're listening to this podcast Thursday night through the weekend. It'll be there for you. I will listen. All right. Well, I have the Target Dakota column on the site. I also have my kicker column. We're going back to Robbie Gould. We're going back to some of our mainstays, including Dustin Hopkins. I don't care that Brandon Staley goes for every fourth down. We are confidently playing Dustin Hopkins. You should read the piece if you're interested in why. All right, that'll do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a second to rate and review our show as well. Make sure you keep it tuned to the player news page for updates throughout the weekend as surely more roster chaos is going to ensue. I want to say thanks to everyone for listening and watching live. Pat, Daigle, Denny, thank you guys. Good luck in week 16, everyone. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers. 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One. Because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25.